It's everyone's favorite show about all things Utah. A show where four hosts, and sometimes a guest, discuss whatever they want regarding Utah, and mostly stay on topic. It's the new Utah Podcast, with your hosts, Bree, Chris, Jeremy, and Jessica. Episode 235 of the New Utah Podcast, coming at you live from, I don't know. <laughs> What's wrong with you? I was trying to get rid of my hiccups before we started. I was wondering started what you were doing. I could just see going. like breathing strangely over there. I was just like holding my breath, trying to get rid of hiccups, because hiccups do not make for good podcast hosting. Actually, That's I don't know. So I think it's kind of funny. Like, it would be funny <laughs> if like Jeremy had the hiccups, <laughs> but I talk for so much of the fucking show. Yeah, well, maybe show. it would make you not talk. But if he doesn't talk, it goes quiet. That that silence, that's what happens when I'm not going. So, I mean, this is the outlet for me to talk all day because I don't do that all day at work. True enough. He saves Not the time I week. come down here and you're on a phone call and you're totally silent. I, it's like a mix. So there's very few calls. I've tried to weed out all the calls that I don't have to pay attention to at all um, because that means I shouldn't fucking be there necessarily. Um and I just have so many calls during the day. So now every call I'm on pretty much, I have to actually pay attention and listen to and contribute at times. Uh, and if, and if I don't need to do that, um, then I shouldn't be on the call, but that means like I sit on a call all day and I can't do other work. It's really hard to multitask when I'm supposed to pay attention to like in-depth stuff. So I get nothing done anymore. My job is no longer actual work. So <laughs> it's frustrating for sure. I've not like I've actually taken now to blocking out chunks of my day and just making private appointments so it looks like I'm busy so people don't schedule me cuz like today I had an opening from 3 to 4. I'm like, "Yeah, I'm going to get some shit done." And someone fucking scheduled something at like 12 o'clock for 3. Come on. <laughs> Seriously? It's okay. That's uh, that's the life. I should have blocked it, and then they wouldn't have been able to schedule it for me. Uh, we got a lot done in that meeting, though, so that was good. That is good. Um, so, Jeremy, I understand uh, you have a rat update for us. I do. Chungus is still at large. I have five traps in that damn chicken coop, and I that have is not a rat update. Still not caught it. Still alive. That is an update, though, because five traps is a it's lot. Not a it's not like it's a. Big chicken. I mean, it's not a small chicken coop, but it's yeah. not. So I have three live traps in the actual chicken coop with the chickens. And the chickens don't give a shit. They don't yeah, they don't care them. about those. And then I've got. Because uh, the live traps are glue. You haven't had any chickens get stuck to them? No, no. The, no, live, the live traps, traps are little oh, cages. They go in thing. And, yeah, and it yeah, gets okay. a cage. So that the chickens don't care about that. The, the snap traps, I can't put in there because the chickens set it off like instantly. They'll yeah. eat the peanut butter or whatever I put on it and then walk away because they don't care. So they're all around just the outside perimeter of it. Look, still your dogs care. have ripped the wing off of a fucking chicken and the chicken's still alive. I know. Lefty survives. Lefty is doing well. Yeah. She lays eggs on the ground because she can't get in the nests very well. But well I wonder why still, she can't get in the nests very well. Goddamn dogs. <laughs> Probably would fly in a circle if she could fly. But anyway. <laughs> the chickens are The chickens are great. I can't believe they don't kill a rat. That's boy, that's just wild to me. Yeah, right. That's, but you know. still see him running around eating food. He's still like, hey, fuck you. Look at what I'm doing. I haven't seen him as often, so there is a chance he's moved on to the neighbor's house for a He's like, this is too hard He's now. like, shit, you killed my wife and all my kids. I got to go find someone else. He's moved on. I don't know, but yeah. Maybe he moved across the street to your Burgess Owen supporter. Maybe. That's true. That Rats house is just like together, rife you know? with amazingness. Yeah. The street would have been easy to cross, too. You don't have a lot of traffic across the street. It's He'd be welcome sack. over there. He can 
Yeah. Well, they've probably got a bed for them downstairs. They probably wouldn't made. even notice. I, pr- I doubt they would. <laughs> Could live in the bushes and weeds. But you also have new carpet? New carpet. So new carpet came today. So I got a question for you. Yes. Can we go have a party over there so Bree can admire <laughs> your carpet? I won't be able to admire it. It's not the I same as our carpet. Oh, but it's a lot. So we we upgraded with the, the much better pad and the much better carpet. The thicker, nicer stuff. So this carpet's so soft. <laughs> For those of you not in the know, <laughs> I don't. We won't tell the whole story because it's basically. It's let's just say Bree got. Um, Jeremy got Bree. Jeremy got Bree really drunk one night um, while we were at a, a shindig at Jeremy's house. This is years ago. Was it one of our Christmas parties? Yeah, it like was a Christmas party. It was like the, the second or third year. Ugly I think. Christmas. Yeah, it was an ugly. It was. Party. It was during that time where we were switching back and forth because not other people. And people I, weren't really putting some effort and, and into Beth, it before we revamped it. Right. And that's we had Beth with us that night. Uh, oh, and right. we had gone out to eat, I think, and then retired back to your house. That's and right. Josh got considerably more, more English. English as the night went on. Uh, and, and Brie ended up face down on the carpet admiring how soft well, it was. Well, I wasn't like face down, like I fell, like I intentionally laid yeah, down. Yeah, and she was like rubbing her face and she's snow like, it's so soft. I wasn't doing carpet. snow angels. It's like our carpet. <laughs> I was laying on my stomach. <laughs> it but was like our carpet. I bet that carpet wasn't like that when you pulled it up. No, you could see everywhere the dogs had peed, the kids had spilled punch, whatever. Yeah, the, oh, it was bad. It's gross. Yeah. Well, and the carpet that we got rid of in our family room was the carpet that was like your carpet. So we didn't have carpet like your carpet anymore. <laughs> when I when I pull up carpet, I never am like, oh, it's disgusting. Because the truth is, I've been using that carpet for years. So I've already been walking on that grossness. And like, I lay on the ground. And so I've been laying on that grossness. So... <laughs> I don't give a shit when I'm tearing it up that it was gross because like that it's been there. Forever. It's amazing how much sand and dirt. Yes, oh, yeah, the, that's the, the crazy the, part. The grind like, stuff, like yeah. piles of it, like in the corners, and it's just the sand and dirt from your shoes and whatever comes in, filters and down, slowly through. filters its way through the carpet and then through the pad. And yeah, this has been flooring talk by the Utah Podcast. That's right. <laughs> so yes, no rat. New carpet. So speaking of rats and carpets, Jess. Um, <laughs> you like that transition? Oh, I have a fucking, rat in my carpet? Fucking smooth rat carpet transition. I want to hear about the rolls. <laughs> I want to oh, hear, yeah. first off, do you have any of the three dozen rolls left? No. Whoa. Um, <laughs> How many did your roommates eat? None. I didn't do it at my roommate's did house. You I eat? actually went across the street. House? No, I went to my cousin's house oh. across the street. Um, so you and your assisted. cousin each put down 18 rolls? <laughs> no, we didn't. Um, no, that so would be more than 18. We right? didn't. No, that's right. Yeah, yeah it was 36. Right. 36 um, so the the businesses that participated in Utah Taste Off were... Uh, Lehigh Bakery, Wallabies, Fillings and Emulsions, um, The Lion House, The Lion House, uh, Honey and Wheat, Honey and Wheat, Shirley's Bakery. That was six, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay. Can I, can I tell you? I, I just want to point out who was last. And it's not a surprise. But we don't know that. Like, they don't announce who's last. They only tell you who the winner is. I don't give a shit. We all know it was Wallabies. It was terrible, you guys. <laughs> we like, all know that, that the fucking roll that came from a barbecue joint was not a good roll. Okay, so... If it was a piece of cornbread, maybe. But Wallabies sucks. Do you want me to talk about put, this or not? No. I just want to bag on Wallabies. <laughs> is it the roll first. they put the, the ribs on to soak up the excess? Yeah. yeah. What? I don't know. I've That's never been to Wallabies. That's a piece of white bread at most places. Yeah, it is. <laughs> they also do that with hot chicken, too. Um, I've never been to Wallabies. and went. So I went, I went and picked up my bag 
on Saturday and it was really cool. It came in like a cool reusable bag and it weighed so much. And I was like, what? It's three dozen rolls. No, I know, but rolls should be light and fluffy. Except for they're not baked roll? yet. No, they're all baked. Have oh, were they ever, baked? Yeah. Have you ever had a lion house roll? They're, no, they're I actually had rolls. not. I had not they're had so a lion good. house. They were not. Really? Um, in, in comparison, like, and after eating these, I realized like, Everybody has a different marker for what they consider a good roll. Because I saw in uh, Utah Taste Off stories that somebody had posted that Wallabies was their favorite, and oh. I was like, "Okay, so this thing was a rock." So we it's heated not ours. Texas Roadhouse, like their rolls are good. So we, yes, they are, but they're not local. So no. we heated them all in the microwave for like forty seconds just to get them like nice and warm. They gave you butter, they gave you jam, like fillings and emulsions. Had gua- their guava jam. Um, mm. so you lay, we laid it out on our little placemats and, uh, and I'm like, my cousin was so meticulous, like going through every single one and they, you write down notes did and you, did you have like a, did you have like a pure roll, like just the roll by itself or just butter and then a roll with, no, we, we went, jam? we went through all of them and just ate them plain and then went back and like added, okay. So you added did, you jam did, you to did them. get a good, like plain yeah, good roll yeah, needs yeah. to stand on its own. Yeah, place. no, for sure. But I like went through and took a bite out of each one while I was like making notes and she would like eat one and like, and think about it. And then she moved to the next, like I didn't have any order. I was just like, I do. I'm going to eat this one now. <laughs> so fillings and emulsions, still my favorite. However, the honey and wheat, that like neck and neck with fillings and emulsions, super fluffy, super light, um, so delicious. And I, uh, I had put them in my Instagram stories and they were like, we still have, I said, you probably don't have any rolls available since Thanksgiving's a couple of days away. And they're like, oh no, we'll still have some if you want to come down because they're based in Springville. And I was like, oh, don't tempt me because I already ordered two bags for feelings and emotions <laughs> for, for Thanksgiving. So, but they were really good. Um, it was my first time having Lion House, which I feel that's like, uh, like blasphemy living I, in Utah. <laughs> well, I had like this impression that they were probably going to win anyway They're, because it's such a staple. Because it is a staple. They're more of a, like a croissant flaky kind of yeah, roll like that is like layered. rolled up. The only thing I loved about it is that you could unroll it the whole mm-hmm. way and it was like 12 inches long and then put your butter on and roll it back up. That's what I loved about it. Um, Lehigh Bakery, and they might have just done this for this particular competition they were so small <laughs> they were so small i don't know if they're normally like that i've never had them they before do make square donuts so they're not like exactly surely the, uh... and Shirley's bakery is always delicious um i felt they're at the top of theirs taste a little bit burned um just for my liking but um my cousin's husband walked in and he I was like okay like which one do you want cuz we had all the bags sitting on the table and and he's like I want the I want the softest ones and so I handed him the the honey and weed and the uh filling and emulsions and and he actually ended up taking the whole fillings and emulsions bag and I was like I can let you have that cuz I ordered some more for Thanksgiving <laughs> but then I ate the rest cuz I went to a a paranormal investigation up at Fort Douglas and so I just ate them on the way home <laughs> That's like something I would do. <laughs> they, were, they were, I like, I love a fluff, like a super fluffy roll. I like a roll that doesn't, oh, the other thing with wallabies, why I said that we heated them up, as soon as we cut them open, it dried out so fast. Weird. And so, uh, yeah, it was weird. I know your face explains how I felt eating so it. So here's the thing. I bet you <laughs> they don't, 
I don't know, because I don't know what Wallabies does in their kitchen, but I've got a pretty sneaking suspicion they probably don't make their rolls fresh. I don't know, but they were definitely substantial. Like, if you wanted to hurt somebody, that would be the role <laughs> to throw know. at somebody. Why, why did they fucking choose Wallabies? It's a barbecue know. joint, and it's not a good one. Like, why do you go... That's the place I want to roll from. Maybe they only want that they could get. To I, it could be. It could be. It could I be. I don't know. I mean, they, so. have, they could have gone to what's the what's no, but why don't you talk into the microphone? Schmitz. Oh, yeah, no, for rolls? sure. Oh, yeah. Schmitz. Schmitz yeah. breads are amazing. I'm sure that they'll end up doing another one. I believe that's the first time that they've done rolls. And you know that Lacey said that they've done, you know, Sugar multiple cookies, competitions. Multiple yeah. yeah. So. And we've signed up for, I mean, the churro. Sign up for the you churro. did. <laughs> it's, it's all one place. That packaging is amazing, though, that they have put each sauce in a little bottle. To inject. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I've bought from them at farmer's markets and stuff before, but I just think that is so cool. So is that this week or yeah. no? Yeah. Yep. Tomorrow I'm picking yep. them up. Oh. Yep. I thought they weren't doing one Thanksgiving. They, or is it they just got... They, they decided to do this one. Oh. It is Again, it's yeah. one vendor. Yep. So, yeah. one so you're not the it. same. It's you're just, picking the sauce. Yeah, you're picking your favorite flavor. So they're just doing like a plain churro. It's a churro with that, a, you that you inject sauce. with flavors. Yeah. And that's how their that's their business model. Like but if it was, you were to go order a churro, they inject it with whatever syrup you want. So. But it was weird because I saw it and then and then Chris had been talking to Scotty about it and I was like churros and he's like. I was going to tell you we should do that. And we did it right my then. Food, my food mistress said he like, signed up for it. And I'm right like, then. I like went into the Instagram thing, went right wow, in. Wow, then like, we need a, bam. we'll need an update next year. Yeah. So, so my, and my cousin's like, let's do this again. Next time I'll pay half these. And I was like, cool. Let's do it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, it was super fun. What's R-H-O-S-L-C? Real House of Salt Lake City. Oh, what was oh, it? No. Update. Yes, we got to do it. R- it's RHO. So. It's RHO, Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. Oh, yeah. I, I still don't, I'm still not catching it. Real Housewives of Salt Lake, of Salt Lake oh, City. Real Housewives. It's okay. the Bravo show it's that the Bravo just show. likes. Yeah. Well, no. So I, after uh, I was driving home and you said, uh, you know, you're going, I'm going to tell you and then you're going to create your own show. <laughs> yep. This is going to happen. So I'm just, I'm waiting. Well, Brain's I, and, and this was my my own fault for not paying enough attention during the first episode last week. I said that I didn't know what Whitney did, <laughs> but <laughs> Whitney actually owns a local business. So for watching this show, I think we should focus on the local businesses that are talked about in the show. And this is why, because there are six women on that show, but only three of them, um, per our later guest in the show, um, are actual true local business owners okay and so i was like i'm just gonna i'm gonna what pay attention Mary? a little is bit that more bitch a local business owner she is i don't know if is owning a church technically a no she's business. a bitch she's the grandpa fucker <laughs> grandpa fucker like her own grandpa also she wears these weird leather gloves all the time like the hat that's because she gloves. fucks a grandpa his no, skin's super no. leathery she's just trying to match it i don't know she was Lots a little uh, so, so <laughs> here, it's there's your granddaughter have my husband. So there's definitely a lot of drama and, and you really have to catch. And even though I'm sure that, you know, an inkling of that is how those women actually are, that it's still, you know, reality TV and, and it's edited very cleverly and, and whatnot. And so 
I just, because I said I didn't know what Whitney did, I wanted to focus on her business a little bit, which is called Iris and Bow, and it's a local skincare company. So she's based out of Harriman and not a money laundering front, not a money laundering firm. Are you positive? She is not in restauranting. She's, uh, not like coachmen or gyms or <laughs> you I don't know. know. <laughs> Here's the thing: you could sell a bottle of essential oils for four hundred. No, okay, so no, it's it not ML. It's not. It, it's, I didn't say it was MLM. No, but I but I want to say that because it's not because you know we do think of you know the the Avons, the Mary Kay. Yeah, she's direct selling it. It's fine. She <laughs> no, so she has created her her own. A skincare line called Iris and Bow. Um, if you go to their website, um, and it's B-E-A-U, it talks about the science behind what they're doing. It's also very green. So their packaging is very green. And, um, I really, I really like some of their products. I think I'm looking gonna at try their some. site on your computer. That's gold, <laughs> not green on the top of that thing. I don't. What? There's a gold bar on the right Green like as in, you know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> anyway, so that I just wanted to focus a little bit of that. Um it is it's still pretty cool, I think, to see some of the the local Wait. spots that they're going to. So you're going However, to rob me of my fun and creative. No, I'm here. I got you right okay. here. Okay. So in the first in the first episode it shows um, Lisa going to, she goes to like three fast food places in a row. She lives in Draper. So this is like probably all on 123rd South area. And she goes to Taco Bell, Sonic. And I can't remember the third. And then her kid in the back has a box of crumble cookies. <laughs> <laughs> and so Salt Lake Magazine, one of their editors wrote an article about <gasps> local food places and was like, Hey, Lisa, like we have plenty of great things. And now keep in mind, this was filmed a, a year, year ago. ago. So any local, so like any advice right now, like it's just going on deaf ears because this has already happened in the past. Like it's not a week to week. This is what's happening kind you, of thing. The people so, writing those articles also know that, but I think the no, 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 no. I'm not talking about the cell. Like I'm talking about people that are having conversations about this show and like oh. how they should be doing or what they should be doing. It's in the past. It was filmed but a year good, ago. It's good to have that conversation because that conversation then leaks into the brains well, of it, the brainless that watch that yes, show. Yes, correct. And so I responded on Twitter and I was like, yeah, I was like, there's because Ruby Snap was one of the businesses. And I was like, oh, you know, I was like, absolutely, like, absolutely. And like hands down for for Ruby Snap. And Lisa replied to me and was like, I love Tammy, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so then Tammy and I had a conversation. But the, the truth is Crumble probably paid to have her because <laughs> <laughs> Tammy doesn't need to <laughs> but also it is worth mentioning as much as I shit on crumble it was started here in Utah correct it was and actually chip goodly crumble those all came out of actually fucking Utah State University mm-hmm. And I, so with this show, but like, it still sucks. Don't eat there. <laughs> Except for they have really good coconut. Like, no, they cookies. don't. They do. No. They're the only ones I like. Um, I'm sorry, Chris. <laughs> but I, so that after I left last week and, and you kind of razzed me a little bit, I really just wanted to focus on like what these women are doing locally. I don't know. It's not, I based on our local first conversation. Lisa is not a local business owner. Um, her, her, uh, Tequila is manufactured yeah, in fuck Mexico. You, fuck you, Lisa. Um, no. <laughs> no. Um, and then um, I and then Jen. Her businesses are local. Um, and then Meredith. I, she's a jewelry store in Park City. 
Her LinkedIn is based out of New York, so I'm not sure how much of the actual making of the jewelry is done up in Park City or here in Utah. Well, we'll see. It's beautiful, though. It would be, I would like some money to buy. I don't wear jewelry, but I would buy some of that. So Meredith, you should talk to Mary's dad, <laughs> grandpa guy, about buying her a ring. Husband. Yeah, Husband, grandpa guy. Yeah. Stuff. I don't know. Anyways, so that's my recap. Can um, I make a brother son with you? A brother son. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I'll... What would that be if you had sex with your grandpa and you made a baby? It's Obviously, not her grandpa. It's actually sh- her step grandpa. Sh- no, it's her grandpa. No. So <laughs> if she makes a baby with her grandpa, it's her son or daughter. It's her child. But what is that? Because it's also, I guess, technically, yeah, it's her uncle. Your uncle. Can I make an uncle son? Your brother uncle. Can I, I make? Know. Can I make a uh, a daughter aunt, an aunt daughter? I don't know. A Funko? Can you? What do you call her? Like, a do you... Funko. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, this, hi kids, this is your great aunt they do have. They do have a kid. No. They've been married They're for 20 years. They've been married for like 20 something years. All right, I'm done. I can't, I can't <laughs> fucking handle this. This is just like the most fucked up thing ever. Well, I'll get you more. I'll I'll All right. get you more later. But, okay, but but Mary, seriously, if you need to break up with with Grandpa Tom, ourdivorce dot com is a great place to do it. Because <laughs> now, because people are in it, do you think that? Do you think it's COVID that's causing it, or do you think that it was yeah, the election think, that is? Do I think, you think it's, it's a good a good combination. I think it's a bit of everything. Okay, I think some people didn't realize how much they couldn't stand their spouse when you're stuck with them and there's nobody else to intervene. Well, so that's that's part of it. There's also you know aside from the fact that the number one cause of divorce is marriage, um, there's also. Like a really big cause of divorce is actually financial problems. And COVID has presented big financial burdens for households with one or both income earners without jobs, not able to get jobs, um, being furloughed, you know, um, maybe picking up gig economy work and not making as much money as they used to. Um, I think there is something to be said about being stuck in a fucking house with someone forever. I know domestic violence has gone way up. Yeah. Well, and also... Well, I don't know that it's necessarily gone up, but there's... It's harder for women... There's more opportunity. Or the... I shouldn't just say women. It's harder for the spouse being abused or the partner being abused to get away or to have support. And so it's... It's... I think that the... I don't think that people who weren't abusing randomly started abusing. I just think that people who were maybe not super, super abusive, became more abusive because there wasn't anything stopping him. So, (laughs) (sighs) No, but you're sexually harassing me at work and I have no one to report it to. (laughs) HR is right here, baby. (laughs) We don't work for the same company, so you're fucked. (laughs) Well, and if I reported it to your HR, nothing would happen because your boss moons people and runs around the (laughs) office farting. I don't know if that's true. I can neither confirm nor deny that. Um, So... um, the the other thing is depression like the the covid like the the lockdown depression is real um mm-hmm. you know i feel it at times I, I i would venture to say all of us do um it's difficult to be so socially distanced from so many you know from people all the time uh and it that is, puts a big strain on a marriage. Yeah, it's hard to, when you're dealing with your own depression, it's hard to be supportive of someone else dealing with their depression. And so when you have two people that are depressed and jobless and beating each other, <laughs> divorce is going to happen. Um, but you can save money on the divorce by using our divorce. Since you don't really have any money to begin with, that's why you're getting divorced. And, and really, like, if you're at that stage, 
you know, the, the process is all guided. Um, you know, it, it's, you don't have to make hard decisions. It helps you lay all that stuff out. And at the end of the, uh, at the end of it, you can decide, you know, is this really what we're going to do? If it is, let's go ahead and pay the two ninety nine. Well, and um, it's normal ease too. So it's not, Sometimes when you're listening to somebody explain like the legal stuff behind something, your eyes can glaze yeah, over. Is, but instead of saying like list all your assets, it'll say like, "Do you own a home? Do you own cars together? Right. How? What's in your retirement?" And, and it accounts? prompts you to remember things. Who owns because, your ass? <laughs> because sometimes you don't remember. <laughs> um, also, Chris's hands. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> uh, also, it's it's worth mentioning. Um, they actually are developing, this is something that's kind of unique in, in this new world. They're developing a community around their company in social media. I see stuff about outdoorsdoorsdoorsdoorsdoorsdoorsdoorsdoorsdoorsdoorsdoorsdoorsdoorsdoorsdoorsdoorsdoorsdoorsdoorsdoorsdoorsdoorsdoorsdoorsdoor
Uh, no, I am the executive director, but I've been with the organization for about 10 years. It was originally founded um, by several people, one of whom was Betsy Burton of the King's English, uh, and another was uh, Jorge Fiaro of Rico's Brand Foods. And when when did they originally found Local First? The organization first began in 2006, and I joined in 2010. Okay, good deal. Um, so I let's take a step back. We'll, we'll get to local first because uh, it's sure. important, obviously. But let's take a step back. First question that we we inquiring minds always want to know when they listen to our show is what month were you born in? September. September. December. Yeah, so you were like like Christmas, Christmas, Christmas baby. Christmas baby. No, September. No. Yes. Yeah. Conceived in, in December. December. Oh. I, Ever, I, there's only been one other person in the whole world that has understood what they do. But for some reason, Jeremy and Chris can tell you nine months from whenever you were born. So you know the month you were well, conceived. Well, September's easy because it's nine. So, I mean, late September suggests potentially actually Christmas or New Year's. Early September, maybe it was a drunk Thanksgiving interaction. <laughs> I'm not sure. Do your parents drink? Did they drink? <laughs> they did, yeah. yeah She's see? like, what did I get myself? So now you're, now you're thinking to yourself, oh, my God. They were what, drunk on gravy. What were they doing at that point in time? <laughs> I can tell you if you, you don't remember. I think I, I think I know the score. So was that, a, was that a Utah thing that happened? Like, were you born here in the state of Utah or were you born elsewhere? No, I was born in Colorado. Okay, what part? That's where my daughter is. Oh, that's great. Um, I grew up just outside of Colorado Springs, Colorado. Love that it area. It used to be a very small town called Falcon. We didn't even have a stoplight until I was about 12 years old, but uh, now it's been taken over by quite a bit of suburban sprawl. As is want in those areas. I like the Colorado Springs, Manitoba Springs area. Mm-hmm. I we we took vacations there when I was a kid because that's what you did when you live in Wyoming. You drove to Colorado. Yes, that is. Yeah. Wyomingers drive to Colorado. That is true. And you take the tram up to Pikes Peak, and then as a little yep. kid, you pass out because you can't handle the depressurization on the way down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like like ten minutes on the train on the like on the way up, great the whole way, and then on the way down, like ten minutes in, I was, you were just out. At least I was as a kid. So siblings, do you have siblings? I don't. I'm an only child. <gasps> Me too. High five. So um, did you grow up there in Colorado or did you guys move? No, I grew up um, on the same plot of land. So uh, right before I was born, my, far- my parents got about five acres of land. And um, then my dad built us a house. So we grew up in a single wide trailer. Um, my dad is a bricklayer and he started building the house when I was about seven and finished when I was about 12. Wow. He lives there now in the house that he built and still have that land. And that is really nice actually to be able to still have a good um, big plot of land out there. There's four or five deer that live on his property and some foxes and rabbits and all kinds of birds. Oh, cool. Nice. Little, nice little uh, oasis. You know, so, you so what was the often. progression? You went to school there, high school there, college there? Um, How did you get to Utah is what he's asking. <laughs> sort of, yeah. <laughs> I moved to Utah when I was about 20 years old. Foolishly, I moved after the Olympics. If I had known better, I would have come for the Olympics. So I could <laughs> be here for the Olympics. But 
Uh, yeah, I moved here when I was 20. Nice. So you've been, what drew you here? Uh, I just needed a change of pace in my life. And I met some folks out here who were a lot of fun and I felt like really understood me. And, you know, I was 20. So I was like, what the hell? Why not move to Salt Lake City? <laughs> you don't hear a lot of people saying, I moved to Salt Lake City because I felt like people understood me. There. <laughs> it's true. It's very true. That's that's kind of the opposite. People move to Salt Lake and they're like, people just don't understand here. <laughs> they're all Mormons. They're all hashtag grateful right. and they don't get me. Well, so. what's interesting about Colorado Springs and Salt Lake City is that Colorado Springs also has a very significant religious culture. And so once you kind of are accustomed to living in an environment with a with a top heavy religious culture and then then they you kind of I feel like that helped me adapt to Salt Lake City a lot faster. Yeah, they all kind of act the same. Whether you're like in the deep south where they have like super Baptisty religion running the show in little towns, or you know up here with the Mormons, it's pretty much the same same rules that they go by. <laughs> yeah. So how'd you get involved in local first? So you came to Utah, you've been here for a while, and, and yeah. you're just like, hey, I, hope I like buying local things. Well, I have that. <laughs> I mean, yes, I, I did enjoy, you know, as I was kind of discovering Salt Lake City over a period of time, it really was the small local businesses that were who I chose to patronize. And, um, you know, local businesses were a really important part of my life. In Colorado Springs, where I grew up, there was a little... Uh, in our tiny little downtown, there was a used bookstore, a coffee shop, and a record store, all three next to each other, next door to the downtown park, which would have been the, you know, kind of the equivalent of a Pioneer Park kind of area. And so that's where I would go when I was um, out of school or ditching school or just, you know, had time to burn. I would hang out at the little coffee shop, record store, bookstore. And so that similar kind of culture is what I looked for in other places. And and that's what you find in locally owned businesses. Um, and then I had the opportunity to uh, go back to school in my late 20s. And so when I was nearing the end of my degree process in my late 20s, I needed an internship and um, I found Local First Utah. And it made a lot of sense to me. And it was an organization um I knew that I wanted to continue to work in the nonprofit realm and, and previous to going back to school, I had been part of the nonprofit community. And so um, it just clicked and I started as a volunteer intern and then I worked my way into 10 hours a week uh, paid position and then a 20 hour a week paid position and then assistant director and eventually executive director. Wow. So what did you study in college? Political science. Nice. I feel that you are fit right into where you're supposed to be then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was just reading some information um, on this, the Salt Lake City uh, government page, and you're yeah. also on the board of directors for Urban Food Connections, which does the farmer's market. And we right. have a huge passion for that on our show, and we talk about it all the time. So yeah. how did you get involved with that? So, um, Allison Enerson, who is the director of Urban Yeah, Food we love Allison. Uh, yeah, she actually is a former director of Local First Utah. And she and I, we never crossed paths professionally until after she had left the Local First organization. But, um, and of course, if you know Allison, then you, you know exactly her 
delightful sort of sarcastic charm that, that <laughs> we know Allison. We've had yeah. her on the show a few times. Yeah, <laughs> let's so, call it her her passion. Her passion. <laughs> yes. And is she's a great person to be around, and so she is somebody who, in particular, I don't know if she even knows this, but she's definitely somebody that I look to like as a role model in my ro- in my job, and you know who she is in Salt Lake City and what she's done in our community from working at King's English to, to being, you know, at the foundation of Local First Utah to, uh, le- you know, leading the farmer's market, which is such an important element of Salt Lake City's culture. Um, especially with COVID, how far, how yeah. hard she's fought to make it work. Because at first yep. they were just going to cancel it, but she right. fought to, to keep it. Yep. And no, it's not the same farmer's market it's been before, but we're not living in the same world right. that we were last yep. year. And she works really, really hard um, to make sure that farmers are authentically represented at the market, that Utah's food culture is authentically represented at the market, and that people who shop at the market can have access to that food culture. And so it's great that you bring up Urban Food Connections of Utah because really the entry point for a lot of people into what I call the buy local movement is local food. It's when you start thinking about where does my food come from and who do I support when I buy my food? Am I, am I supporting people that I want to support or am I supporting some kind of boogeyman? Cause there are a lot <laughs> of boogeymen in the food industry. And um, so once you start analyzing those connections and thinking about, well, how did that, get to my plate, then you also start thinking about how do these other items get into my home and how do these other things get into my life and who do I want to support with how I spend my money? Were you part of urban, like, were you doing local first, um, first, and then you got involved with urban? Cause they kind of cross paths in, in that local, yeah. in that local sense. They do. They're very, even though one's food and the other one is, is yeah. also industry. Yeah, they're closely connected. Um, I was not. I I joined the board of Urban Food Connections after I was um, the director the director of Local First Utah. But I was, of course, a farmers market patron for years before that. That's fantastic. And I also you're the vice president of the uh, Granary District Alliance. Is that what it's yeah. called? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think that's amazing. We we have you know obviously Ruby Snap is in that area, and um, we have some friends who unfortunately are closing their business um, at the end of the month. That's in that area. Oh. But yeah, it's <laughs> it's pretty sad. But hopefully, there's so much like opportunity in that area. Yeah. So the Granary District, I think, is a really unique, um, it's a really great case study in in how Salt Lake City is changing. I mean, like I said, I've, I've lived here for almost 20 years, and so I've seen the city change a lot. I haven't seen it seen, I haven't seen it change as much as people I know who've lived here their entire lives, but I think Salt Lake has changed dynamically even in the last five years, um, and The Granary District is this area that has been sort of this untapped potential for a very long time. But there's also, within that untapped potential, there's a really fine line to not just gentrify the neighborhood. Because there's a lot of old history in that area. That was the old rail stations. That was where all the immigrants came into. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really, yeah, and when you dig into the history of that neighborhood, it's really fascinating. Um, And when you dig into why that neighborhood um, has been 
disconnected from the rest of town because of different, you know, transportation choices as well. That that's really fascinating. And so for us, the the folks who are part of the Granary District Alliance, there's a few other great people. Um, um, Tim Dwyer from Fisher Beer is on the board. Um, Andrew, whose last name is escaping me right now, although he's the president of the board for, from Keto's Brewery. Um, Rinya from Brand Aid, just really dynamic, incredible um, personalities in that area. And so we've put together really kind of just a little neighborhood coalition in an attempt to steer. We know that neighborhood inevitably is is going to be developed, and it's just a matter of how it's going to be developed and what's going to happen there. And we want to be able to uh, steer that development in a way that is authentic to the businesses that are already there, who really are, it's a cliche term in Utah, but who really are pioneers in that neighborhood, who have claimed their stake in that neighborhood and have done good work there for a long time. And um, so one of the events that Local First Utah does, our annual fundraiser, Celebrate the Bounty, which, um, you know, we had to cancel this year, of course, but for about 10 years, we hosted Celebrate the Bounty, Celebrate the Bounty in uh, Jorge Fiaro's warehouse for Rico brand foods. So we've been, you know, hosting public events and hosting celebrations and, and seeing that neighborhood change a lot over the years. Um, and it's a great place. And what we, we just don't want it to turn into a bunch of condos ultimately. Is can those, can some of those buildings be savage? I was driving down fourth West the other day and noticed that the front of the pickle building had collapsed and I was so sad. Yes. <laughs> and that is, I believe that damage occurred during the earthquake in March. I heard that. And then the wind came through and took down yeah, the scaffolding. Yeah. It. Um, and, and that is one of the prohibitions to, um, you know, the granary becoming sort of a, you know, their warehouse districts and other communities. The one that's coming to mind right now is in uh, New Orleans. There's a really great uh, warehouse district there that's uh, that's not too far from um, the French Quarter. I was like, the famous place. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, not too far from the French Quarter and it has a really similar vibe where but they have been able to maintain a lot of those buildings. And so now, and you can, you see that in lots of older cities in Salt Lake city. It's a little bit questionable because of, you know, earthquake rich retrofitting, like how much right. can be saved and how much is just simply not worth saving. Um, I think about, I'm not an expert on like the architecture and the, the, that guy is over there. Yeah, he's an architect. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> I think at least half the neighborhood could be saved, but there's a cost to it. That's true. Yeah. It's really expensive to retrofit yeah. for, for it's, it's in the millions yeah. to, to yeah. retrofit a lot of these old buildings. In um in downtown Nashville, their farmers market is like in a warehouse building. Uh, that would be really cool because I know that Allison has dreams. Yeah. Of you know, big dreams that we all want to see come to fruition. And that would be a really cool place for that to, to, to migrate to, I think. Yeah. A public market in Salt Lake city would be incredible, whether that's in the Rio Grande neighborhood, which I think is what we're looking at right now or, or somewhere in the granary, but either way, it'll be really in the heart of Salt Lake city. I love that so much. 
like Pike's isn't it Pike's Peak and Pike's Market Pike's or Pike's Market? Market. Pike's yeah, Peaks Pike's in Colorado Pike's Springs, Pike's Springs Pike's where she was born. <laughs> Pike's Market. I think it was Pike exactly. something. Exactly. <laughs> you were just confused for a minute. I'm confused a lot of the time, but that one is really cool, and the way it's yeah. open year round, uh, every day of the week. But right. it's, an, it's an amazing space, but it's a place everybody can go. Everybody knows where yep. it's at. Right. So have something like that. Great space to catch COVID. Yeah, these days. <laughs> it's not open right now. No, I, I don't I'd think it's open it's not. So. Yeah, it's a little too confined in some spaces for sure. But, I mean, that's the kind of space that would be – I mean, replicating that is really, really hard. But I think it would be a fantastic thing to see happen in Utah yeah. because – you know, one thing that one of the things we really love about the farmers market and and what um, what they do is is the locality of it. You know, mm-hmm. it's like like you were saying. You know, they take a lot of pride in getting local farmers. They don't mm-hmm. want people from you know uh, you know not necessarily out of state because we're close to borders here, but they don't want people from California, for instance, bringing mm-hmm. in you know apples from the Pacific Northwest or or, mm-hmm. or people in California bringing avocados because it's not Utah. That's not a local right. produce. Right. Um, or the people with the jewelry made in China. Yeah, and so and that's the same thing. Like on the artist side, you know, they do a very good job of getting local artists uh, to to do their stuff, and I think that's a that's a huge uh, driving factor to want to shop at a place like that because you know what you're spending goes directly into the pockets of of locals. Right. And, you know, the farmer's market is a really great incubator for small businesses as well. There are dozens. Um, Lizzie's Kitchen is one of the best examples that I can think of. And Rico. Oh, Ray, yeah. Yeah. R- Rico. Uh, Olio. Olio. There's, like... Yeah. There's so many businesses who start. Bitter's Lab is another yeah. good one. Really uh, Sweet Lake Limeade. Um, there's just so many great success stories that have come out of the farmer's market where somebody has an idea or a concept and they start in their home and then they migrate to the market and then they manage to do the market year round. And then they, then they, you know, might expand to a couple of other markets and then they get a brick and mortar location or they figure out how to do delivery. And it's just a really vital piece of that process of, of how a small business grows and expands um, in a way that's a natural and organic growth process so that the business owner isn't just somebody who's like, hey, and not that there's anything wrong with this, but somebody who's like, I have an idea. I'm going to go get angel investors. They're going to invest in my business and then it's going to explode. But there's really that passion through that process and then you get to feel like when that business is is maybe bigger than the farmer's market or they're doing a full service restaurant and they used to just sling hummus at the market at 7 a.m on sundays you really feel like as consumers as shoppers as utahns that you are part of that business's story as well and so you know it's that that feeling of like, I found this, I discovered these guys, or these guys are part of my community. And now when I go to their restaurant, I feel just as much like they're kind of part of my extended family. And then you're really sad when businesses have to close like Rucklet or Bubble and Brown or yeah, or Rico stops serving their really good uh, eggs benedict you know, at the market. <laughs> you know what, though? When, when someone closes like Bubble and Brown because they're moving, I don't, yeah. I mean, I, it's sad to see them go, but it's also... It doesn't mean that their business failed. I think when no, you see no, no, they were super right. successful. And Roclette, they have sold their truck. And um, oh my goodness, I can't remember the name of the company that's doing it, but they make 
Pizzoli, that's all that matters. So <laughs> I don't remember. I can't remember. But they they are passing that to somebody right. else in our passing community the that they can, yeah. yeah, you know, continue that business. So you guys do through Local First a program um, called Localist. Is that am I saying that correct? Yeah. So how that it's for people like us sitting here at the table to get involved in the business. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So the Localist project, we actually just started this fall, um, although it's been something that's been rumbling around in my my mind for years. And we created it, like I mentioned, we used to have our incredible Celebrate the Bounty annual fundraiser that was this fantastic food-centric um you know, wine and beer and cocktail pairings and just a super fun party. And so, of course, we couldn't host that this year. And so I had this idea in the back of my mind for quite a while. And I thought, well, I think this is the year that we um, stake our flag in this and we launch this project. And so the Localist Project is for um, non-business owners, consumers, although I hate that word. And then I, I used to love to say citizens all the time, but now I feel like that kind of might have a weird connotation as well because it's for locals. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be anti immigrant when I say citizens, so I don't know what their thing <laughs> is. But <laughs> that's my political science brain there, guys, where like I have weird, like weird different word definitions. But um so the project really is for people who care about their local business community and want to be able to support Local First Utah as we support the small businesses in our community. So it's pretty similar to, um, you know, a public radio uh, subscription or, uh, you know, KRCL or KUER, two, two of our great, wonderful local radio stations here. And the idea is that um, folks can contribute just a, a small monthly donation starting at $10 a month. And we provide them with um, what we call our localist field guide, which is essentially an online magazine. Hopefully um, in the next year or so, we'll be able to publish it. That is our member directory. And then lots of really in-depth, wonderful blogs written about um, some of our uh, higher donating members. So it really gives a, a great kind of heart and soul of the small business community. And then over the course of time, when we're able to start gathering again, we'll have um, things like local distillery tours or specialty dinners or, um, uh, you know, maybe a tour of the Caputo's Cheese Cave. And you can see that it's all still very food focused because that's what people love. Um, but other events that allow us just to connect groups of people to the independent businesses in our community. And so localists would have... Um, you know, they they would be that target audience for those events. So what can I explain for people? I mean, Local First is somewhat self-explanatory, but the organization as a whole has, you know, has a mission and, and has, mm -hmm. you know, some objectives and goals. Can you kind mm -hmm. of explain for, for people that aren't familiar? And, and by the way, you've, you've probably all seen the logo, uh, the, mm -hmm. the green, you know, uh, Local First Utah logo. Uh, logo out and about as as you're doing different things or in magazines and um, but kind of explain what what your guys's real mission is and how the organization kind of functions and what they do for businesses. I would love to, yeah. So we are unique as a nonprofit organization in which we have about we have three audiences that we uh, really connect with. Our overarching mission is public education, so our goal is always. Um, to help people understand 
the value and vitality of our locally owned businesses to our economy, to our culture, to our social connections. Uh, that's our that's our overarching public education goal. And I liken it often to um, a click it or ticket or a do not litter campaign, where our long term goal is an actual shift in consumer behavior, a change in public behavior. You know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I have to go actually a little longer than that, because in my mind, when I say 20 years ago, that to me is still the 1980s. And that's not. We've had that discussion before. That's 2000. Yeah. Those awesome bands you listened to in the 90s. Those are 30 years old. (laughs) That's oldies. 40 years ago, it wouldn't be that unusual and this is also probably a little bit of, of growing up in a rural community. You might not always put your seatbelt on when you got in the car. We it's, never put our seatbelts on in the 80s. Yeah. I stood up in the front seat while my mom did my hair. I used to stick my head between my parents. You know, as an only child, you're the only yeah. kid. And I went on to be in the front seat and they had bucket seats. There and I just. <laughs> and by the way, my mom was smoking a cigarette in the other hand while she was doing it. So, yeah. So those like are steering all... with her knees. Yeah. <laughs> My mom never did that, actually. <laughs> I don't know how I would know that. examples of just like public behavior that have changed over the course of time through different public education campaigns where you apply positive pressure and you apply negative pressure and eventually people change their habits to something that creates a healthier and safer uh, society for everyone involved. And so for Local First Utah, we are working to educate people to help them understand how their spending habits can create um, a healthier, more secure, more dynamic economy for everyone involved. That it's actually within their own best interests to spend their money at locally owned businesses. It's not simply um, just a fun kind of act of charity to, to buy locally. It really is something that it helps pave your roads. It keeps Tax dollars filtering through our school system, keeps your emergency responders employed, our our beautiful parks and recreation, all aspects out here are funded through our sales tax dollars and community dollars. Um, locals contribute or locals contribute three times more to charities than non-locally owned businesses. And so when I talk about our overall public education and our public audience, that's what really that's what we're really focusing on. It's getting people to shift their behavior towards locally owned businesses. That's for that's for a public education everyday Utahns. We also work with uh, elected officials and appointed officials. Uh, we have great relationships with Salt Lake City's Economic Development Department, Salt Lake County, um, Ogden, Davis County, and a few other places where we work not as an advocacy organization. You're not necessarily going to find us on um on Capitol Hill advocating for particular legislation one way or the other. What we do is we work really to build relationships with the people who are making the decisions within those organizations. That's why another one of the groups that I serve on is um, the mayor's business advisory board here in Salt Lake City. And so we meet monthly and we just discuss what's going on in the local business community. And and we are able to provide, um, we're able to provide insight to uh, what the local business community needs and what policies need to be developed as we move forward. Uh, and then finally, the last audience that we work with is the most obvious audience is business owners themselves. And so we have our membership platform, 
where we are able to do really a lot of different marketing elements on behalf of the small businesses in our community. And we also train them about how to use the buy local messaging in their own marketing and communicate that to their customers. So I want to take a step back and I'm going to get on a soapbox for a little bit, because when you, the the first thing that you were talking about, about um, educating and and teaching people to buy local, um, you know, one of the, one of the most common things that I'll hear frequently is that it's more expensive Mm -hmm. and it is more expensive, but there's reasons for that. Mm -hmm. They they actually pay their employees decent wages most of the Mm -hmm. time. Um, they try to take care of them as best they can. Some small businesses still can't afford insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, that's for um, a whole nother discussion. But, you know, I saw this. I grew up in a small town uh, in Wyoming, and I watched a Walmart come in and put out a business, three grocery stores between two towns, right. um, both department stores that existed um, in, in the two different towns that weren't Walmart, uh, and countless local businesses, just small mom-and-pop shops of, of various things that they did, uh, right. all because Walmart came into town. When you buy stuff from Walmart, first off, there's not a lot of tax dollars. If you look out to, for instance, Sandy. Mm-hmm. Sandy, Utah, uh, the Walmart that was out there got massive tax breaks when yep. they moved yep. up to the gravel pit. Yeah, uh, and they closed that shop a- across the street from mm-hmm. uh, Southtown Southtown Mall. Mm-hmm. They got huge tax breaks to do that. And what they told the city of Sandy at the time was, "Well, if you don't approve the move, we'll just go to another city, and you'll lose right. all your tax revenue." Right. Um, they so they, they they move in. They put a bunch of local businesses out of business, uh, and then they pay substandard wages. Walmart's the number one contributor to welfare in communities, mm-hmm. um, and it's not just Walmart. There's other big box stores that. That are, are similar, um, and you're getting goods ultimately most of the time not even from the United States at that point. Yeah, uh, and so buying local is a, a a huge deal, and the amount of money that comes back into the economy locally. So if you buy from Walmart or Amazon, and I'm a huge Amazon shopper, but if you buy from Walmart or Amazon, we get virtually none of that money locally. It's like ten cents to the dollar. Whereas if you buy, and, and I don't know what the actual number is, you probably do. <laughs> if you buy local, I know it's like somewhere between 50 and 70% of yeah. that dollar yeah. goes local. So uh, in 2013, and I would love to be able to update this study because I think it is, I think it's different now and I think the impact is even greater. Uh, in 2013, Local First Utah published the Utah Study Series, and we studied small businesses in Salt Lake City as our capital city. Uh, businesses in Ogden, a sort of a mid-sized community, and then businesses in Wayne County, so Torrey, Capitol Reef kind of area. And what we found in Utah is that four times more money stays locally when it's spent with a local And that amounts to about 55% of every dollar spent. Uh, the, the, the norm for, if you spend your money with, uh, big box stores, it's about $13 stays locally. And if you're spending your money on Amazon, you might as well just be putting it in an envelope and lighting it on fire for about, (laughs) from a community presence perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you bring up a great point about the idea of, well, it's more expensive and there's, there's kind of two trains of thought there. There's. One, um, and this is actually a title of a book written by a gal named Stacy Mitchell, who's uh, an incredible uh, thinker and contributor to the buy local movement. But it's the simple phrase is the high cost of low prices. And what you spelled out there when you talk about um, 
the way Walmart moves into a community and the way that they devastate the ecosystem of that community when they move into a community. We saw that a lot um, in the 1990s. And, and that was kind of, you know, the rise of the big box era. The 1980s was a lot of malls. 1990s was a lot of big box stores. The big box stores killed the malls. And eventually the internet killed the big box stores. And locally owned independent businesses have just been hanging on through it all because they have that personal connection and they have that real value to their economy that keeps people um, coming back. Well, there's something to be said about going to the farmer's market, buying fresh produce that was probably picked two days ago, maybe even that morning, as opposed to getting something at the grocery store that who knows where it came from. Probably chili this time of year. It's probably been on a truck for four or five days, went on a boat. By the time you get it, it's flavorless, it's tasteless. And we had the the, sooner. the farmer, the rock and roll farmer guy. Punk rock weeks. farmer. Yeah. What's his name? The punk Al. rock farmer. Al, Al, Al. Al. <laughs> so he was saying any food that you buy from a grocery store is poison and it's not real food. Yeah. <laughs> and he's not necessarily wrong. I mean, there are... There are local stores. I mean, that, it also goes back to buying local is to support local grocery stores even. So, right. you know, Harmon's um, Stands is, is a good local Ridley's grocery store. Is, Ridley's. Mm-hmm. Peterson's. Um, Peterson's, yeah. I mean, those kinds of stores, supporting those stores as opposed to a Kroger, which would be Smith's mm-hmm. here, right. or a Walmart, uh, is a big deal. have relationships with local farmers. And yeah, they bring in local produce. Incredible job, not only in their produce selection, but pretty much every shelf in the store. They've done a great job of, you know, being, again, like the farmer's market, that conduit towards um, helping locally owned businesses go from kind of step one to step two in terms of growing their business and seeking a new audience. So I live out, I live right out by Peterson's farm, and I've actually seen Farmer Luke driving his tractor with produce to Harmons. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It happens. Pretty great. But that's the kind of thing. And, and what you were saying about Walmart, you know, the, the other side of Walmart is when they do move into a place and they destroy local businesses, those people need to get jobs somewhere. They end up getting yep. a job at Walmart and then yep. that's where they have to spend their money. And right. so then that money that was maybe even being earned in the community is starting to evaporate right. very quickly. It's not even, Walmart even has a program um, where and this is just despicable. Where their employees, um, if they don't even have the options at times um, in order to to get their check actually cashed, some some Walmarts have employees in programs where their check just turns right back into um, credit. In store credit, yeah. So at that point, it's the same situation as like minors working for scripts and and indentured servitude. It's a, yeah, it is. It's one it's just step like away. one tiny, it's not even a full step. It's like a half step from indentured servitude. Yeah. It's crazy. It's and crazy. So those are the pieces. And, w- and what you said there is, the, is that that money stays siloed inside of that Walmart or that money stays siloed inside of that Amazon where um, it's not recirculating through the economy. Because what Harmons or other local stores do differently is they buy from people within their store. Or if you take Sorry, they buy from people within their um, economy, their community. So and like they have chocolate just, conspiracy and ruby yeah. snap yeah, and a bunch of local bakers. The cookie doughs at Harmony. Right. And, and they have their whole local only chocolate section. And Right. 
even non-food-based businesses, they are still going to do business with other locals more. Mm -hmm. So a non-food-based business might hire a local web design firm. They might hire a local landscaper. They are uh, probably going to bank locally. There's all of these different ways in which um, it's kind of like an economic ecosystem that, that keeps those businesses intertwined. And that's what keeps our money recirculating. And that's also what keeps our economy healthy enough to withstand really dramatic events like a COVID-19 recession, like a mm -hmm. 2008 housing recession, is that our economy is strong because we're linked together. So can we talk? You brought it up, so now we're going to talk about it. Um, COVID. <laughs> so we've we've always been huge proponents of, of buying local and, and supporting the local community. You know, this this time of year, um, we, we actually talk a lot about, you know, ignore the big Black Friday sales mm -hmm. at big box stores. Go support local businesses. What is right. it? Is it Tuesday that they do? Or next, next sa is it this next Saturday? Saturday? Next, yeah, it's this Saturday. Saturday after this Thanksgiving. Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I can I can share a bunch about that at, uh, at the kind of the end of the program. We have some really we have some really cool stuff that we're doing. So we can awesome, quit. awesome. Um, but yeah, but so with COVID and, and in particular, I mean, retail stores probably took a hit, um, but really like restaurants and and mm -hmm. the food industry in general took massive hits during right. COVID, especially right. early on when we shut everything down, and even still now as people are open but trying to really stay distanced, you know. They're struggling a lot. Yeah. What are some of the things that you guys have, have tried to do to help them kind of get through some of these tough patches and be able to stay open? Yeah. So the restaurant industry in particular, like you said, it has just been slammed. And um, really, the bar industry has been hit the hardest because oh, yeah. the bar industry is, even as we speak, being unfairly punished for a 10 p.m. 10 p.m., yeah. folks. That's when COVID comes out. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Your behavior changes dramatically in a bar at 10. <laughs> um, and I, I need to gather my thoughts here a second. So <laughs> I'm sure that I... Oh, we could keep going because <laughs> the other industry that's really been decimated is the entertainment industry. Yeah. yeah. There, there are no concerts. There are no, like, any local plays, artists, local bands, bands plays, yeah. all of that stuff. The, the, even the movie industry. You know, you, we don't think about it, but like Larry H. Miller Theaters, that's a local company. Megaplex <laughs> Theaters is 100% a local company, and they, they're in trouble. Yeah. It's very serious. The entertainment industry, the hospitality industry, industry bar and restaurant industry, it's very, very serious. And um, you may have seen circulating on Instagram the last couple of days um, a request for more federal support. Uh, hospitality industry, which I believe is unlikely to come to pass at least for another uh, six months or so. But as far as what Local First Utah has done uh, in order to support those industries, really the best that we can do, and it it's a drop in the bucket with what they are dealing with, um, is at bare minimum encourage people to buy gift certificates from those businesses. And like I said, it's a drop in the bucket. It's bare minimum. Um, but at least purchasing gift certificates um, gives them some cash on hand at the moment. And also, you know, most people, when they redeem a gift certificate, uh, you you can. You buy more. You, you, buy, you buy a little bit more at the same time. It's a good incentive to come back and buy more. So um, and then also, I think just remember to 
if you are going out and about, tip your servers. If, you know, I think there is a responsibility that we have to one another that if um, you are somebody who, uh, A, is still employed, still gainfully employed and is comfortably making ends meet, and B, is somebody who does feel comfortable patronizing uh, bars and restaurants right now, you better be tipping your servers well, and that's the takeout and delivery too. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, make sure because those Uber drivers, the the DoorDash, the the Grubhub, they don't make very much money. Well, and also is... you can try. Oh, there's a lot of local businesses that have started their own delivery mm-hmm. because they are paying so much money to that's those third thing. parties that I would definitely suggest. And we are looking at a few options in the in the new year. Probably nothing that we'll be able to launch um, in the next month or so, but of some delivery apps that have less um, that are more focused on the yeah. local businesses. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Ruby snap delivers. So. Yeah. And their <laughs> yeah. service is them, amazing. I've had them deliver. I don't know how many times yeah. Just a couple of times last week to some people who had surgery because yeah. can't go visit them. Um, I do it for like birthdays. I've done yeah. it for us just because you know, who doesn't want a really snap cookie, right? <laughs> like, you know, and and they're great. Like, they tell you, okay, we're on our way. Okay, it was just delivered. Like, so I can let people know that should be on your doorstep. If you right. heard a knock and you yeah. didn't go get it, you should probably go get it because there's go food get on it your porch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, anything we can do to help those folks and yeah. – I think that's it's a, yummy too. a good option too is, you know, as consumers, we have to, we might have to do a little extra legwork. We might have to find the actual businesses and we might have to find out like, oh, so you're not listed on Grubhub, but you are, if I live in this radius, you will deliver to me or I can mm-hmm. go pick up from you and just do a little bit of that extra legwork to make that every dollar, make sure that every dollar, every penny is going towards those businesses. Yeah, I, I sure try. I try to do takeout. Oh know, man, I, I kept can. everybody during COVID. I keep every all those businesses. <laughs> as much takeout as I eat. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it's it, it also is you know when you go to a Harmon's and you're mm-hmm. you know buying stuff. You let's say you're buying salsa or you're buying tortillas. Take the time to go buy the Rico stuff. That's, or that's salsa right. del diablo. Yeah, or salsa or, del diablo. Now that it's there, yeah. You know, Criminelli or yeah. Mm-hmm. Buy, buy. Yeah. You know, when you're picking out cheeses, buy Beehive some of those cheese. local cheeses. Beehive, Beehive or, cheese. Oh, or we had a, or, we had a little charcuterie board dinner last night with Beehive cheese. It was delicious. Yeah. Kristen, you should hire us. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I mean, those those kinds of decisions. I mean. They're, they're oftentimes, they have to be very conscious mm-hmm. uh, to, to start switching some of those those loyalties, but it makes a huge but difference. But that was a key, what you said. When you very first start, it's a very conscious decision, but once, like people are, we're, we're all creatures of habit, right? So if you're used to going to Walmart and you just go to Walmart all the time, but if you start to change it, once you've done that a little while, then that becomes your habit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah your habit is to go to that and, local place. And if you're going to go out to eat, and you're like, oh, I'll just stop and get McDonald's. Don't find a local place on the way home and call them and order it. Well, and most of like them Crown are, Burger, they're yeah. local, and they're yeah, go much to Crown better. Burger, than McDonald's. Go to Apollo well, Burger. And a lot of places now, since COVID, you can you can call ahead. Yeah. Place an order, and it's and, there within 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, anymore. and just grab it on your way home or whatever. 
because like eating at McDonald's, you know, that's great, but it's not going to help us. Um, and McDonald's ain't going anywhere. Yeah. How is you're, you're talking about shifting behaviors and educating. How does local first like track that? Like what's the, yeah, the great. measurement that, you know, you start to, to see those, those changes in a community. Right. Um, one thing we're looking forward to there is we'll hopefully be launching an app in the next year or so. We're working with a company um, to launch uh, an app that's going to complement our local business directory really well. And that will have actual dollars and cents tracking. Cool. You are correct in that it is very difficult because most of the organizations, um, you know, the best way to look at that would probably be to look at sales tax revenue. But they're still open um, yeah. <laughs> after five years. Yeah, after five years. <laughs> right, exactly. But the data, the data is hard uh, to comprehend, and it also is hard to distill the difference between a true locally owned business and um, just a, you know. I mean, I would need like a really smart intern to be able to. Well, what do you, what's your definition there? Because you use the word true. Well, okay, oh, so, like, so like Chili's or McDonald's might be owned locally by someone as a franchisee, yeah. but it's not a local business. Right. Right. Versus a. So our definition of a locally owned business is that they are at least 51% owned by uh, somebody who resides in Utah and that they operate independently. And it's really the independent part that is the key there. Um, and so no franchises, unfortunately. Um, sometimes we will come across somebody who really is authentically, you know, truly committed to the local community and they happened to buy a franchise. And uh, that unfortunately, uh, because they receive outside help and, you know, kind of their marketing guidelines and their logo and their all of that information is already determined for them. That doesn't count as independent to us. So but it's not a geographically local question. It's not I'm going to my local Walmart or I'm going to my local Olive Garden. It is <laughs> we are, you know, Don't go to Olive Garden owned and independent, <laughs> which, you know, sometimes um, there are communities that where I do have to differentiate that, particularly in some of our smaller rural communities is. It is, you know, there's there's sort of a scale of choices. And if you live in a small rural town and you are leaving town to go to the Olive Garden at the next biggest town, you're doing damage to your local community there. Well, look at, um, we actually didn't even, I didn't bring this up last week on our show, which I should have, but, you know, down in Santa Quinn, Leslie's Family Tree is yeah. closing after 36 years of business because, I mean, because of COVID, but one of the reasons that was in the article is because of other businesses, like you're saying, that have opened in Santa Quinn, that have opened okay. in Payson, that have opened in Spanish Fork. So, yeah. yeah. So... Let's talk about uh, let's talk about small business Saturday. Yeah, because that's you know it's the yeah, spirit of the season. Is, I don't want to be depressed anymore. Talk <laughs> about something cool. I mean, there's plenty of businesses that are making it right, and so it's it's supporting those businesses that makes a big difference. But one way that you can do it if you want to get away from food is is small business Saturday. Absolutely. So small business Saturday is uh, this year. It's November 28th. Every year it's the Saturday after Thanksgiving, um, and. What we are doing this year is we're hosting what we're calling the Shop Small Digital Crawl. So it allows people to have, um, if they want to shop in person, they can shop in person. If they want to shop online, they can shop online. We have about 120 businesses who are signed up on our website. And they are offering um, 
you know, some are offering discounts, specials, buy one, get one free, all sorts of just really great, uh, fun, exciting products. Um, businesses in the ninth and ninth area in Salt Lake City, businesses in Sugar House, businesses in Murray, in Sandy, in Ogden, in Logan, in Park City, um, uh, Cedar City, Springdale, Moab, all across the state. We've got businesses who are participating and um, some businesses who just offer online services only. And so what we are doing is, like I said, there's about 120 businesses. You can check out the Shop Small Crawl Guide. And also a great place to find out all of this information is through our Instagram, which is just um, at Local First Utah. And when people shop on Saturday, whether they shop in person or whether they shop online, all of those businesses will have a QR code at their register or, um, you know, at the checkout site of their website. And uh, customers can scan the QR code. And when they scan the QR code, they'll be given instructions to enter into a prize drawing. And uh, these businesses have also contributed gift cards or specialty packages. Um, We have um, a monthly, like a one year's worth of monthly pedicures from Got or uh, 10 day passes from the front climbing gym or um, just lots of incredible stuff that I am completely blown away by the generosity of these businesses right now who are just like, yeah, here. Uh, take this and this will be a random prize drawing and so when when folks buy on small business saturday uh, they can scan that qr code and they can enter either through instagram sharing something on instagram tagging us etc or um, for those who aren't uh who don't you know want everything broadcast on social media we have a just a little easy form that they can fill out to let us know that they Um, made a purchase on Small Business Saturday, and then we will enter them into our prize drawing. And because our businesses are so generous uh, and we have so many businesses participating, in years past uh, when we've done this, every single person who has submitted, um, it used to be a a hard copy passport as you get your passport stamped, Uh, but every person who has submitted to the prize drawing has gotten a prize because um, our businesses uh, just give so generously. So it's a lot of fun. There's lots of options. You can go out and physically, you know, take your family and, and um, you know, shop small in your community. Of course, obeying all of uh, the public health re- requirements of where yeah, you can ask. I was going to ask, do you, do you guys have, like, um, you know, in your business directory, do you guys have, um, any uh, additional COVID info from any of those businesses, or is it just kind of if the businesses put that up? Because I know, like for instance, um, Oleo um, Oleo Skin has very slowly yeah. kind of yep. opened their place up for right. people to even come in the doors. Right. And uh, you know, I was thinking about that the other day. A big reason mm-hmm. for that is, you know, these small businesses, especially like little retail shops. Yeah. If if they get they got, COVID, yeah, they have to shut toast. down, like it, yes, because they don't absolutely. have. 15 employees worth if one goes down you know there's right. another to step up and they right. might shoulder a tiny bit more work no they, that's it yeah so they have to be very careful so do you have like a directory listing that indicates what their hours are like or their their policies yes so for all of our um shop small crawl businesses um we have in the shop small crawl guide we do have both um two options there for for shoppers to identify. One is any business that has taken um, the stay safe to stay open pledge, which is something that the Salt Lake Chamber 
started, um, I think they launched that in May of this mm-hmm. year, which is kind of seven guidelines that they agree to abide by, which includes uh, you know, mask requirements, social distancing, additional sanitizing, ta- sanitizing measures, all of these different pieces. Um, so all of the businesses who are participating who have taken that pledge, um, they have a little icon on their listing. And then um, if any businesses wanted to offer extra items like Olio, that's actually it's great that you brought that up because they even said on their entry, you know, we have a really small physical store, so we can mm-hmm. only allow so many people in the store at a time, um, which was something that I was going to say a moment ago. If you are out shopping with your family is to make sure to show extra patience and extra grace to the people who are behind the counter in these businesses. Um, they are doing their very best and um, we need to treat them with re- the respect that they deserve um, and to abide by the public um, the public health requirements. Because when COVID dissipates, the economy will return. It's the same problem. There isn't a open the economy no matter what. It is, you know, consumer confidence will return. The businesses will bounce back when COVID dissipates and when we get the spread of the virus under control, it's, they're the same problem. And so um, as we are shopping and as we are supporting our locally owned businesses, we need to protect them um, just as much as we would protect anybody else that we care about. Awesome. So how can people get in touch or how can people help if they want to join and become a localist? Where can they go? um, First.org is going to be our home base online. And then uh, follow us at uh, Local First Utah on Facebook and Local First Utah on Instagram. Instagram is really probably the the very best place to get all of our most up-to-date information. Um, And then, of course, if anybody wants to reach out, they can email me, Kristen, at localfirst.org. Awesome. Well, Kristen, uh, we have one last question for you. Absolutely. We ask, we ask every guest this. You've chosen to make Utah your home um, from instead of Colorado. Good choice. I like Colorado. I don't know. Colorado is <laughs> pretty nice in some spots. <laughs> um, well, Jess, you had a question on here. Do you want to ask if she has favorite businesses first? Yeah. going. I mean, besides your 120 that you guys are going to be featuring on Saturday, having been part of so many things in the community, do you have favorite local businesses? You can pick um, can favorites. You, say, it you is can allowed. pick favorites. It's not like kids. Just because you, you support, just kids. because you support Rico, doesn't doesn't mean you like Rico's beans. Like it, <laughs> they're not mutually exclusive. I do like their slogan: "Beans are our beansness." I've always loved that slogan. <laughs> um, I will tell you some of the businesses that I have found myself patronizing quite often. Um, it, oh, the King's English Bookshop is a game changer for me. They're the best bookstore around um, equal to Ken Sanders books bookstore. Um, you know, they both have, I'm a, I'm a big reader. So, um, and they're, they're both bookstores that helped me find the buy local movement um, it, it, to begin with. Um, you know, Ken Sanders is such an icon in Salt Lake city in, in our culture, in our history, um, which actually is a great tie into the, one of my other, 
frequently patronized businesses, which is Fisher Brewery. And they are launching this awesome, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get my hands on it, but they are doing this really incredible uh, collaboration with Ken Sanders, where they're doing, um, I think, six different beers. Uh, I just saw that advertised. It's so with cool. With the Wrench Gang, with Edward yeah. Monkey Wrench Gang and the Robert Crumb drawings, and it's it's the most it's just the most delightfully expression of at least for me a part of Utah culture and Utah history and persona. It's really really important to me personally. Um, uh, Time and Place is a little plant shop. Oh, oh I love that. My house and yeah, um, Melinda has become a great friend and sounding board during covid i did not have a green thumb and uh, now i have a, about 15 she, plants in my apartment she will do that to you for sure she tried to do that she to tried us. to do that to me and i managed to kill a rubber plant and an airplane oh um and let's see there are i mean there's so many if i if i go down the list of restaurants there's just too many because i uh love food <laughs> but um <laughs> It's, you can say Bumblebee, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think overall, you know, uh, they're, just, they're, so, they're so many locals who, who make me really proud of our community in Utah. You know, kind of going back to the thought, the, the, the thought we had at the, the beginning of the show of moving here and, and trying to acclimate to life in Utah – um, Utah is a place where, very interestingly, um, things that are traditionally subcultures, you know, religious cultures are traditionally more of a subculture. That culture is on top. And so that's that's the primary culture here. And so what that's done is that has created an environment where other subcultures like microbreweries or tattoo shops or music, uh, local music scenes, places like Kilby Court and the state room, mm-hmm. um, it's created a, an environment where the connections that exist between people who patronize those places run really deep and are really essential to how you identify yourself and how you how you make your way through the world in Utah. And I think local businesses are part of that, that they people are deeply connected to the local businesses in Utah um, because they really help us define who we are and uh, who, who we are not sometimes. So, okay, now really the last question is, yeah. what, what is the most interesting or unique thing that you've discovered about Utah in your time here? Mm. So I'm a little bit of a, of a history buff, and um, I really love ghost towns. And so I do enjoy finding uh, off-the-beaten-path places, I think, the, one of the more intriguing places that I've been to recently, which isn't that recent since, you know, we're all at home these days, um, is in Helper, Utah, uh, which is really, they have their little main street there. They've done a lot of work on their little main street, and it's getting very cute, and it's very, you know, railroad focused. Uh, they have this just little Helper History Museum. And the the history museum talks a lot about uh, the mining culture in uh, in in uh, Price and in Carbon County, 
and that even at one point in time there were a series of labor strikes and mining strikes and and Mother Jones, who's very famous in um, the labor movement, she actually came and lived in Helper for a year. And a lot of these things that um, are not part of the traditional Utah history, um, are, you can find that in some of these little towns. That's interesting. I think you're the first person that's ever said ghost towns and <laughs> Helper, Utah. I know. That's amazing. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. I sent you a link, by the way, too. Yeah, I saw uh, that. Only in Your State is yeah. one of, they're one of our favorite. Uh, it's yeah. just one person for Utah. She is, yeah. She's one of our favorite people to steal content from, and she's got a couple of good ghost town ones. Yeah. Uh, but I, that's one of the ones I linked you. So, uh, Well, thanks so much for yeah. joining us, Kristen. Uh, that's, uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, it was great to chat with you guys. Okay, I think, uh, you know, we've, we've had our discussion with our guest here. Um, so remember, buy local. We can beat that dead horse some more if we want, but I think we talk about it enough. Um, it is the last, uh, show of the month. Um, and so, you know, this year, the last show of the month, we're, we're doing a famous Utah every month. Um, and so this month, we're actually doing two. Uh, we made the decision to do two. Uh, famous people. Now you, you might not recognize these names. I've never if you're heard not of these know, people. But they are very, very famous individuals. Um, John Warnock, uh, and, um, maybe not Jerry very, Bruce, very famous, but Jerry very, Buss. very influential. Cause if they were famous, we'd know them. Well, they're famous in certain, so famous can imply like there's famous actors like Roseanne Barr, but, um, she's also a Utah. We talked about her uh, a couple months ago. Last month. Last month. Yeah. I don't know. Time flies. Uh, <laughs> know. The, the whole year has gone by like whoosh. Um, but anyway, these two people are, are quite famous. And once we start talking about what they did, you'll understand why they're famous. So like Philo T. Farnsworth, would you know that name? Yep. Outside of Utah? Probably not. Okay, but Philo T. Farnsworth is amazing and, and super fucking smart and is responsible for, I mean, shit, the stuff that Jess is doing right now that is pioneered by Philo T. Farnsworth in terms of just being able to look at that screen, mm. right? But his name is not like super recognizable to most people. Um, that's the case with, with these two. And so let's start with Jerry Buss um, because he's, uh, Jerry Buss is probably less of a Utah than the other guy. Uh, in, in some ways. <laughs> so he was, he was born in, in Utah, um, when in 1933, 33, yep. yeah. Uh, in January of 33, he was born in the Salt Lake City area, right? Yeah. Born in Salt Lake City yep. itself proper. Raised by his divorced mother, Jesse, and his father, Lydus, was an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> um, when they when he was nine, so they lived in Utah until they were nine, and they moved to L.A. and then they moved to Kimmerer, Wyoming. Kimmerer, uh, uh, and that's actually where he grew up is in Wyoming. He went to the University of Wyoming uh, in the fifties, and then he transferred down to UCLA uh, or USC actually um, to get like his his PhD and stuff. And so he had a PhD at twenty four. Um, and then he started doing, it was a PhD in physical chemistry, yeah, I think. So he worked for the Bureau of Mines. Yeah, so that was, yeah. uh, which is now the Mine Safety and Health Administration, mm-hmm. which is basically OSHA, I think. Um, it's it's very tied very closely to OSHA, but I think it's a little different, MSHA. And then he did a brief stint in the aerospace industry. <laughs> um, so probably making rocket fuel in the university is my guess. Um, but that's not what he's famous for. Um, so he did some investments early on. Um, 
He even uh, produced some movies and stuff like that. But then at some point in his life, he bought um, uh, a professional sports franchise, uh, the L.A. Lakers. You might have heard of them. Nah. A little team. Yeah, a little, little team in the NBA called the L.A. Lakers. And he was the owner of the Lakers for a long time uh, in what they call the, the Showtime era um, back in the 1980s. They won 10 championships underneath his ownership. Wow. That's fucking insane. And those were, I mean, that's the, those are the glory days. He um, also bought the LA Kings hockey team. So he owned huh? both the hockey team and the basketball team. He was also a famous poker player. Um, like played, I think, on the World Series of Poker. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like high, high stakes poker. Like he was a really good poker player. And he was the one in 1988 that, that traded Wayne Gretzky onto his team. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and then they started winning uh, championships after that, too, I think, didn't they? Yeah. Because how do you not win when you've got Gretzky on your team? He's a great one. He wasn't that great. He needed a team around him. But he had, I mean, he had, like, this is the glory days of the Lakers was like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, you know, um, Shaq, Kobe Bryant, um, Paul Gasol, um, those those people are well, and the, the Phil Jackson era. Yeah, all that say, well, there's, a, he hired. there's a very famous picture of Kobe Bryant, like, pointing up to to his, to Jerry's, Jerry's. yeah, uh, Whatever they put when they retire the somebody. Oh, the jersey. And, yeah, and uh, when I, they retire their number. Yeah, after he had passed away in 2013. So yeah, and he's done a lot of philanthropic work as well. Um, basically, um, he's got two huge endowment scholarship funds at USC. Um, you know, he he lived a rich person's life though. Once he once he started making money, got married and divorced a few times. Had a bunch of kids. Um, had some big alimony things going on. Like, um, he also, and I didn't realize this, but in 2006, he bought the Los Angeles Lasers, uh, the indoor soccer league. So he also owned the, an indoor soccer. That lasted for like two years. That was a bad business decision, probably. That was uh, what we call a tax write-off <laughs> in the business. <laughs> the kind of loss you take on that team helps with the other stuff you're doing. Um, he lived pretty old. Uh, he was, what, 80? He lived pretty old. He, he, he lived was for 80. a long time. He was 80 yeah. when he died. In 2013. Um, and basically, he he was battling cancer for the last couple years of his life um, and ended up dying of well, cancer. Well, he was he was still, and there's there's a, on the BleacherReport.com, there's a comment that is written that said, um... We're talking about a man over the age of 75 who could have left the due diligence to his children or hired minions. Instead, he decided to risk his physical well-being for the sake of his team because he was constantly actively involved in negotiations up until almost the very end. So, yeah, yeah, he was a he was a big person in the team. She wants the clock, Jerry. Gotcha. So, um, 2010, he was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame for all of the things that he did. The 16 million things that he did. Well, the Lakers is the second winningest team. Not winningest, um, bringing the most money, uh, after the New York Knicks. So, yeah. He built that franchise. Yeah. All right. So now, because everyone hates the fucking LA Lakers that lives in Utah, unless they're an LA fan. (laughs) <laughs> um, but it's Utah Jazz, and like the LA Lakers are a big rival, kind of like Denver is, just from a geographical standpoint. But LA is is always a big game that people get up for uh, here. 
Um, so enough about um, the basketball, the shooty hoops. The shooty um, hoops. Let's talk about a guy that, that really and truly probably is much more of a Utah, and that's that's John Warnock. And so I, I don't want to say what John Warnock did yet and why he's such a big name. I want to kind of give a little bit of his background first. So he was born uh, here in the state of Utah in Salt Lake City. Um, that's where he was raised. He went to Olympus High. He failed math in the ninth grade. That'll yeah. come back to be important in a minute. That's actually a really interesting story. So we can actually talk about that now. Um, so when he had failed, he failed out algebra in the ninth grade. Uh, and then he took, uh, an aptitude test. Um, and, uh, they said after the aptitude test, you should probably consider not going to college. Now this was in the, in the like fifties. Um, and, um, then they asked, what would you like to do? <laughs> like you probably shouldn't go to college, uh, cause you're dumb. What would you like to do? And he's like, uh, well, I kind of like engineering. So maybe something in that field. And his high school counselor said, you probably have, uh, your, your probability of having any kind of success in any <laughs> engineering related activity is probably zero. What kind of a counselor says that? <laughs> like, instead of encouraging a kid to like, like, they, okay, well, then you're going to have to study harder and yeah, let's get you some tutors. Let's help you. So actually he had a, uh, um, uh, an influential teacher named Barton, um, and he said that he made math fun and exciting for his students, um, and almost all of those students went on to get master's degrees and PhDs, which is which is really telling about this this high school teacher. He said that was the thing that turned my life around. Uh, he said students should have a healthy skepticism about what they're told, basically saying, you know, older people don't necessarily know what's best for you. Uh, and you got a whole life ahead of you. And when we get into what he's actually done, you'll, you'll kind of see why it's kind of a joke that his high school, yeah. his high school math teacher was like, you're not going to do anything. Well, so he goes on to the University of Utah, gets a Bachelor of Science in Mathematics and Philosophy. Yep. Then a Doctorate of Philosophy in, in electrical, electrical engineering. engineering, one of the most difficult. And this is, this is in, like the 60s at this point, right? In the mid-60s, uh, specifically in the computer science portion of electrical engineering, which is what computers were at the time. They weren't like this whole different thing. They were just starting out. Um, and then, you know, he was in a, in a fraternity. I was going to say a sorority. <laughs> a fraternity. But he was in a fraternity. Um, and, um, you know, he's earned some other degrees uh, later in life. Uh, but then he... Um, Starts doing some stuff. So he has a, um, a an early pu- publication solving uh, Jacob Jacobson's Jacobson's radical uh, for fifth for row finite matrices. Um, and when he did his thesis, I found this really interesting. I don't remember where I saw it. But when he had done his his thesis for his PhD, he got um, tagged as being re- receiving the distinction of having the shortest doctoral thesis in the University of Utah history. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so his thesis was really short, but apparently good enough to go ahead and get him the doctorate. Um, so then he uh, took a, a job for Evans and Sutherland in the 70s um, and then eventually moved on to uh, Xerox, uh, went to their Palo Alto, the Palo Alto uh, Xerox. Um, Xerox employed a lot of people in Salt Lake in the 70s. And yeah, 90s. yeah. And he actually specifically went to their R&D division, essentially, uh, in Palo Alto. Um, and while he was there, um, this is where he starts to become, his genius starts to kind of take hold and, and his inventiveness. 
So back in the previous company, um, he had kind of started with the computer graphics company, uh, Evans and Sutherland. He had started to um, get some ideas of a postscript, uh, an idea of what postscript is. Uh, and then as he's working for Xerox, he starts to come up with um, more of these ideas, eventually leaving Xerox in the early 80s in 1982 and forming a small company called Adobe. Dun, dun, dun. And the big deal with Adobe was he created what, like most people probably don't know what PostScript is. PostScript is essentially, um. It's uh, in a letter when you, when you forget something and you put PS at the end. Sure, but not in computers. <laughs> <laughs> so PostScript is essentially printing language. So it's how printers can send whatever you're seeing on screen. You know, you can send that to a printer and then the printer prints that. And so PostScript, the first versions of PostScript, he actually brought to market with Apple in their laser writers in, in the mid 80s. Mid 80s, yeah. So when he formed Adobe, he basically turned, um, he created a system he called Camelot and turned that into the PDF format, which is portable document format. What he wanted to do was take PostScript a step further and basically make it so any document from any application could be sent electronically and then printed somewhere else. And then else. still look the same. Yeah, so like I can... if I send a Word document somewhere and they don't have the exact same words... If, if they the have Corel, well, Word so Perfect, yeah. me, I, <laughs> I can draw... For me, in my application, I can draw a 17-page set of plans and send it to anybody and they and can, they can open it. it because it's a PDF and they can print it because it's a PDF. So it became now is the universal like image and document readable platform and that's what started Adobe. Now, since then Adobe has become this gigantic huge corporation uh and they do everything from Still, Adobe Acrobat, which is their primary PDF generation and reading software. I use software. that every single day. But but when you think about it, like there's other PDF softwares out there now. There's Foxit. There's uh, Microsoft has PDF generation baked into the operating system now. Well, AutoCAD has their own version that's part of the AutoCAD system. And all of that is licensed from his patents on the PDF. He owns the rights to that. And he has six or seven other really big patents. Um, so... You may not know his name, but I'm sure you've heard of Adobe, and I know you know what a PDF is. And if you don't, you're probably 80 years old, and I and don't not know listening to this podcast. how the fuck you found this podcast. Like, Because I've told my mom about it a million times every time we say something about the podcast. Oh, yeah, I need to listen to that. How do I do that again? And actually, there's, there's an Adobe typeface or an Adobe script called Warnock. That's named after him. Um, I the, never realized that until you just were getting ready to say it. It's a very popular uh, Adobe typefacer or a font, if you will. And uh, it is named after him, after John Warnock. And, and John, um, you know, I, I said that Jerry Buss was philanthropic, but uh, John, I think, is even more so. Um, the new engineering building uh, at yep. the University of Utah is directly as a result of him. Um, so the University That's of Utah. That's a really cool building, well, by the way, if you ever have a chance to see he it. He donated $5.7 million to the University of Utah. He also did their commencement speech this year. Yeah, so and it's actually named after him. So it's the Johnny and, and Marva M. Warnock Engineering Building at the U. That building, by the way, stands where we used to sleep. Oh, that's what they that's built. What, where our that's where the engineering be. building it's is. Really it's really It's this really cool, cool business building. I think that's the one. Um, I think you're right. I remember the old one, which was there, obviously, when we went to college. Oh, the giant engineering center up on the... It's still there. 
Yeah, I yeah. Up on the corner, like as you come around the corner. Yeah, kind of over by the hospital. Yeah, when you when you go around the corner to go yep. up to the hospital yep. from First South or South yep. Temple, I don't remember which. And they, they had all. It, it was fun to go in that building at the end of each semester to see all of the projects because they'd have them out there, but they'd they'd have like the land speed cars that they made out of cardboard, just weird, crazy, cool stuff like that. The the new building has um, a bunch of windows into where they do like 3D printing and stuff like that. And they have like conference rooms where you can set up businesses and have meetings. And that's really cool. It's really neat. That stuff didn't exist. And then there's like, there's housing above there that you can apply for if you're in that department. department. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, so he's won tons of awards over his career. Uh, I didn't realize this, but he also sits on the board of directors for, there's a bunch of weird-ass companies, but Netscape Communications was one that he sat on the board oh, of directors wow. for, which I'm sure people have heard of Netscape, Yeah, uh, if you were alive in the 90s, that is. That's yeah, they sent out just as many CDs as AOL did. I don't know if that's a true <laughs> statement. You know what? I haven't insured. AOL sent a lot of fucking I haven't dicks. insured that as an like AOL got, email, and a, it freaks me out every time I type it. You got an AOL disc in the mail like once a week at at least and like for years. in your cereal and like in your toilet paper. I have there. a customer that I had to send an email to, and it was AOL. And I was, and when I called to, because ver- usually I'll call and verify it if I haven't heard from them. And I was like, I'm just making sure is it still an AOL? Every once in a while, and they were like, yes, like I get. The, they're like, I can't let it go, and I was like, I get it. Every <laughs> once in a while, I do. I have an insured. I'll with get an a AOL. client, an old, usually an older client. Yeah, this is an older client with an AOL account. I remember those old commercials. America online. Yeah. Yep. Yep. This guy's older, but he's like totally rich. And, you know, he's I don't know if he still lives in Utah or not. I don't know if he's a resident here um, anymore. Um, you know, he's still alive. Um, he might still live here. But Adobe has a gigantic office here now. Um, and it's cool. Yeah, it is a really cool building, and they actually already expanded it once. Um, and they brought, like, they just, like, last year, I think they brought another 1,600 high-tech jobs here. Uh, I've had a couple of conferences in that building that were really cool. Yeah, I mean, the conferences? The, and the building. The building was really <laughs> cool for the conferences. Um, but, yeah, I like, I... I didn't realize how completely Utah he was, but he is very much like born, raised, went to school, went to graduate school. Um, you know, he branched out after that and, and that's, you know, Xerox was in California and he worked in a couple other spots, but, uh, the Adobe stuff is really, really quite crazy. Um, and I think, uh, if you haven't used a PDF in your lifetime, um, like uh, we said, you're not listening to this podcast. Yeah, I don't understand how you don't. Like, even Bree's mom has PDFs that she opens, so. Yeah, but I don't know that she knows that that's what it is. <laughs> no, of course not, because she can delete the internet. She's magical. Um, I, I did want to do, I don't know if we want to do these lists. We don't have a whole lot of time left. I don't want to do a super long show tonight. Um, <laughs> um, but I, I actually wanted to take a minute, um, just maybe get a little personal, uh, and, so, a few days ago, it must have been last Tuesday or Wednesday. I don't remember exactly. But I was opening up my phone, and I was looking through Instagram. So, clearly, we all know I was taking a shit. Um, <laughs> and I noticed, uh, maybe it was on Facebook, not Instagram. I don't know. It was one of the social media platforms I only look at while I poop. And uh, I noticed um, Jeremy's wife had posted a nice picture of the family, and she had posted hashtag grateful. Um, 
And I was like, oh, that's really sweet. That's cute. And then I saw Trevor's wife, Tori, um, did the same thing about Trevor. And I was like, that's fucking weird because she doesn't really do that about Trevor very often. And then I saw... My ex-husband did it about me. And then I saw Don wow. do that. Well, it was about his dad. And all oh, of them right. had the hashtag for- grateful. And the first couple, I'm like... Oh, that's sweet. It's that time of year. And then, but then when, he saw Don's. Then when I like, saw Don's, I'm like, oh, it's a Mormon church thing. <laughs> and so then I'm talking to Bree and she, she finds out that it is absolutely a Mormon church thing. They had like the, I don't know if it was, it was a, a, yeah, it the was prophet. The prophet. It was said, you know, spend this time to have seven days of thankfulness leading up to Thanksgiving or whatever. Um, and then someone had posted, you know, about make sure because, um, you know, you're projecting all this happiness and, you know, try to be Are you realistic. talking about toxic positivity? Yeah, which I think is still, I think that's an oxymoron. I, I don't, I don't know that it is though, because these posts, while they're great, um, they're, we just talked about how people are getting divorces because their lives aren't that great. And you've got to remember that while you're being very thankful for things to remember to be humble about that and, and acknowledge that maybe you've also had struggles because if someone is sitting in their house all alone and looking for forward to a Thanksgiving by themselves or a Thanksgiving where they're going to be beaten if the turkey isn't done right or something like that. And you're like, I'm so grateful for these things for seven days. And my life is so wonderful because my family is great. My Lord is great. My brothers and sisters are great. It, that kind of positivity can push someone over the edge. But if you present it as, you know, my family's great. We, we struggle sometimes and we fight amongst ourselves, but I'm still thankful for them. It's a little easier to swallow if right now your life is the shit. I'm grateful that I can beat my wife and she doesn't leave. <laughs> Does she beat grateful. you if you don't do the turkey right? I punched my I wife last turkey, night so. and she was in the bed next to me this morning. Hashtag <laughs> grateful. <laughs> Okay, but, but, in all, but in all seriousness, so I, my point is, I saw that and I was like, oh, it's kind of sweet until I realized that it was like dictated. And like when Bree's ex-husband did it, I was you, like, so clearly... and I started going through my stuff and I'm like, oh, my God, people. Really? Really? So like, but I don't have anything against people being happy and thinking no. about the things they're grateful for. And actually, I wanted to steal it. Uh, and I just wanted to <laughs> to actually ask you guys. Uh, if there was anything that you were particularly grateful for. Jeremy can't be thankful for every, for anything because Heather's already thankful for it. I'm done. That's not true, <laughs> dude. No, that's not how it works. Just but I, seriously, I think that I would rather end the show there. So before we kind of do that, do follow us on social media at TNU Podcast. Um, thenewutah.com is a great website. Please, please, please go out and support local businesses, especially on Saturday. Um, do the QR codes. You heard... Uh, you heard Kristen say it, uh, pretty much the, the number of donations they have, if you scan the QR code and submit your thing, you're going to win something extra. So on top of the awesome deals the local businesses um, are giving you on Saturday, I'm if excited you scan the about QR the code, online opportunity. you might win a gift card for a full year of pedicures. Oh, that'd be so cool. So, and, and if you don't win that, you might still win... 10 bucks at fillings and emulsions type Which of deal. Which would also be really cool. Blue Boutique's local. Maybe they put something in there. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a three foot dildo and a four foot dildo. Um, on your list? Is that on your Christmas dude, list? That is know, almost as tall as I am. I don't got, think that's useful those, for me at all. Those are expensive gifts that they're just giving to local Utah. You don't know. Some people's uterus may go up to their neck. Yeah. 
just the tip. That's all you're really dealing with at that point. <laughs> I just wondering who's going to hold wow. the other end. And can you keep if it's it that big? It's weighted for the bottom, and you don't need help. So you just like stick it on the ground and like just straddle. <laughs> it's got get like on a, a step ladder. Brie, I can just see. I just got this picture in my mind of Brie on a step ladder, like lowering herself down. Nope, stop. <laughs> <laughs> now the entire listening base has that same. It's got picture. like a hedge trimmer motor on it. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when nobody's seen us until we put our picture on our Christmas cards? Oh, oh man. Uh, um. Okay. So all that stuff aside. <laughs> Um, kind of do a little mental reset, if you will. Um, who wants to start? Not me. Not Bree. Bree's still trying to get the picture of herself. On Things the we're thankful for this year. So I am not thankful for COVID. I am thankful, however, that through this crazy twist of events that my business has actually been able to thrive. There was about a month and a half when COVID started that I was seriously sweating it worried about how things were going to be. And I think that kind of goes back to what we talked about with the local. Obviously, everything that I do is local because I do local architecture. And I'm I'm grateful that what could have for me been a disaster has turned around to be probably a record-breaking year. Not, not grateful for the COVID, but grateful for being able to survive during it. Yeah, that's, that's really awesome. That's great. What about you, Jess? Oh, man. I am grateful over the last year to actually just my whole life to be an empath. Uh, it's help, it's definitely helped me be grounded through all of this craziness. Uh, although it's definitely hard a lot of times. And I'm also very grateful for, um, Brad Mondo and for Instagram Reels. Brad, Brad Mondo. <laughs> yeah. Like at what? the beginning of COVID, I don't know how he showed up in my Facebook feed, but he, comments on people's hair videos that they're he's a hairstylist out of new york city and he does like commentary on on hairstyles no not covid hair not covid just hair in general and he's just very very kind and it's and it's really it's funny and that was my whole beginning of covid That is, was late night Brad Monto. That is out of nowhere. I've never heard of this guy. <laughs> He's amazing. That's, so that's a that's good thing to be thankful for. What about, what about you, Bree? Four, four foot? I'm not going to say it. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't know. Why didn't you warn me this? I could prepare. If it was on the show notes. It was. Yeah. Give well, thanks. Hashtag grateful. Yeah. That doesn't tell me that I have to be prepared for something. Besides that, you know that I don't ever look at the show notes. Um, I am thankful that I was able to start working from home. Um, I feel like it's kept me a little bit more sane during this thing because I don't, while I'm working at home, I don't have to think about COVID all day long where if I was in the office and having to wear my mask and deal with some of the really conservative people that that maybe in the beginning and who actually are, are not so bad about it now um, kind of were poo-pooing it and doing the whole it's just the flu kind of thing um, probably would have frustrated me. Um, so kind of along Jeremy's vein, I am not grateful for COVID, but COVID has enabled me to, st- to start working from home. And as I've been working from home, I think that I'm a little bit happier in my job because I don't, I don't do well with 
the negativity around me, I tend to pick it up. And now there's nobody around me being negative because it's just me sitting in my office. And so if I get mad about something, I'm only mad for as long as I am actually mad. And I don't, I don't play it off onto other people and they don't keep it going. So my isolation during COVID has been a good thing. Um, I'm grateful for, for the fact that both of my kids have managed to stay healthy, even though, um, they're both very forward facing, especially Chantel, where she works at the VA. Um, and she is exposed to COVID multiple times every single time that she is at work and has been tested so many times. She might as well just keep up. She's now swab. getting tested quite twice a week. She gets, yeah, she gets tested twice a week. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful that my children, um, are as aware of the people around them as they are, that they are so kind and, um, have turned into the people that they are. Uh, I worried about that as, as a mom. And, and when I see that, I'm just grateful that my kids are safe and well and, and the good people that they are. So that's what I'm grateful for this year. Yeah, you, you took longer than the other two, and you really had to think about it. <laughs> I almost started crying, too. I'm really, really proud of my kids, um, especially during these hard times and how um, how awesome they are and how they can see other people's needs and um, and really have befriended and, and been awesome. They're just awesome kids. Um, so I'll, I'll take up the rear. And I, I could say all the normal, like, I'm grateful for Bree. I'm grateful for my friends and my family. Um, and I am, um, don't get me wrong, but I think the thing that I'm, you know, over the course of this year, um, the, the pandemic has been really, really tough. Um, I'm actually grateful that we live in Utah. Um, and that Utah has a very conservative government, um, that, that creates policies and legislation that put us in a position to weather this storm. Um, it's not over. It's not going to be over for another year, probably, uh, even in the best of circumstances. But, um, you know, Utah's unemployment rate's really low. You know, it's, it's, it's 4.5 to 4.9%. I can't remember the exact number in the last report, but, that's incredibly low. It's one of the best in the country. Uh, and part of that reasoning, uh, part of the reason that that, that is the case is, is the way the government's handled it. It hasn't been perfect. I, fuck, no one has handled it perfectly. Not one government. Um, you know, uh, Australia. Australia and New Zealand. Australia shut the fucking country down and put two million people out of work. True. And they're in a position now where Literally no business has survived and they're, they're just paying all of their citizens money. Uh, and it's very socialized government and they're trying to figure out ways to get businesses back up and running so that they can actually have some sort of economy. They've just been printing money while, while COVID's been happening and, and it's just destroyed them. And so, you know, you may think that that kind of shut down because they prevented, you know, COVID, but at what cost? And I think there's it's a tough balancing act. I don't think anyone's been perfect in how they've handled it, but I, I am very grateful that we live in the state of Utah and I know I'm not a super conservative person, but that's one of the things that makes Utah a good place. Um, sometimes the bullshit that we deal with leads to good things. And I think that it's easy to forget that. Um, and you know, Jeremy's doing well, Bree's still employed. 
Jess is still employed. If I'm not mistaken, Jess's fucking <laughs> dealership is doing stupid good business this year. Yes. Um, and and uh, your cake business is flourishing. Yes. Um, and, and, and my business is doing well, you know, and I'm, I'm doing well personally. And I know that not everyone is in that same boat. And I do everything I can to support local folks um, and, and you know, try to do a little bit extra where I can uh, to help local people so that, so that the community and the economy does um, continue to hum along and, and people, you know, aren't struggling near as much. So I'm really grateful that we live in Utah. And I, I you know, I don't want it to, to sound cheesy. I, it's a very real thing. We could be in, in California, and California's a mess. New York's a mess. Um, and, and we're just not. Um, we're, we're figuring it out um, our own way, and I, I think that's a, a really great thing. So hashtag grateful. <laughs>